being the church. We've been on our study today, uh, this week. I've been on my study this week. Hopefully you have been as well. About the church. We have been studying that together for the past several weeks. And I want to talk to you this morning about the mission that we're on as a church. In order to do that, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew, the 28th chapter. And then, then because I know you're really capable, skilled students of scriptures, I also want you to turn to Acts chapter 8 and hold your finger there. Can you do that both? All right, good. I'm trusting you to do that. So hold your finger in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at Matthew 28 briefly together. One of my favorite movies is that series, the Mission Impossible series. And I know uh, some of how many have ever seen that movie, Mission Impossible? Okay, a great deal. Okay, and then if you haven't seen the movie, maybe you uh, actually became a fan earlier in the TV program in the series Mission Impossible way back when. How many, any of those? Okay, quite a few of us as well. That's one of my favorite movies. It was one of my favorite TV shows as well. And I think the reason uh, that many people enjoy that concept, that movie, is uh, because we like to see as people, as humans, we like to see the very near impossible or sometimes the actually perceived impossible actually take place. We like to see conquering the impossible. We like to see people who are against the odds make it and succeed. And sometimes we don't get enough of that in our life. And so the the TV program or the movie becomes something we can identify with and see that it's still possible that, that even though it looks impossible and things are very difficult, there's no foreseeable way that it still can be done. And, and we rely on those special skills and talents, and on the show it's that special team and all their high-tech tools and, and, and the, all the fun stuff that we like to see. And we know that because, because they're dedicated to the mission and they're the elite, the elect, the selected few, that they're able to accomplish that mission when nobody else could. And I submit to you that today God also has a mission that seems very impossible Against all the odds and and in a very difficult task, God is still seeking to save those who are lost and redeem those who are sinners from sin, to set the captives free, to spread His love and the gospel throughout the entire world. Look at the world today, that seems like mission impossible. And and I, I think maybe we'll see today that God's relying on that few, that elect, the special elite team, if you will, filled with his spirit and given his word, the message of the gospel, to accomplish that mission. So I'm going to call it for our church today, Mission Possible, because God has enabled us to do it. Reading in Matthew 28, he gives us what this mission is. Uh, Before I read in Matthew 28 what the mission actually is, which is also up on the wall in the back of the church, that must make it really important. It's printed on a lot of material. We have t-shirts and hats, so it's got to be important. But before looking at it, guys... There are many stated purposes for churches today. And, and if we're not careful, as the church, we can sort of own our own thinking and agenda and what the world and culture tells us to be as a church, and we can formulate a mission based on something other than the one true source. Jesus said, I will build my church, and so Jesus alone has the right to determine the mission of the church. And so we look to him to see what is our mission, what is our purpose as a church. Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's the mission for us to go and make disciples. Well, you know, as we we follow Jesus, we learn that this mission of making disciples has 
built right into it the very first task of sharing the gospel and leading them to redemption. A disciple is a follower of Christ who has been delivered from sin, experienced redemption, atonement through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then becomes a follower of Jesus by virtue of being born again, a new life. And so he's calling us to be part of the process. And the operative word here, we're not going to study this verse a whole lot this morning, but I do want you to see he determines the mission, and he says, here's the mission. The operative word is this, go. Go, therefore. Well, why is he saying therefore? I, he said, have been given all authority. I determine what has to happen. God's given me the authority and insight to the plan. And because he's given me the power and the authority, the Father has given that to me, I say to you, therefore, go. Go and make disciples. So the mission is to lead people to salvation and then disciple them. And we're going to look at this first part today, lead people to salvation and what it takes to accomplish that mission. And for us to see what it takes to accomplish that mission, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Hopefully your finger's still there. And that's the passage we're going to use to identify our mission and how we accomplish it. Now, I'm going to do something a little fun today. I hope it's fun for you. About halfway through the message, I have a little illustration that I'm going to use to help us understand a really important point. It's the one I hope we take with us today. If you take this one point home, you have done well today. See how easy the expectation is? One point. Can you get it? All right. At least one. One point. But in order for this illustration to take place, I'm going to have to make some noise. The reason I'm telling you now is I want to warn parents, especially those with infants or babies, if they fall asleep about halfway through the sermon, I'm going to wake them up. So when we get to point number two, you might want to, if it's really important, you might want to go to the cry room or cover their ears. Or do. I'm giving you fair warning, okay? I thought that's the least I can do. It's going to be a little bit noisy, okay? So there's your warning. We're looking to Acts chapter 8. Let's read it beginning in verse 26. The encounter of Philip leading the Ethiopian eunuch to salvation. Verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem for worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, to whom does the prophet say this is? Of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him. One of the early examples in Scripture 
of what it really takes to accomplish the mission. We might say, hey, Philip already beat Mission Impossible. He already showed us that being filled with the Spirit and being commissioned by Jesus enables us to do that. We just have to watch the pattern and see how he did it. What can we learn from Philip's examples? There's just three things that I want to show you very briefly this morning. It takes to accomplish this mission obedience. It takes to accomplish this mission compassion. And it takes to accomplish this mission reliance upon him. Three simple things. The first one, obedience. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, now the angel comes and he's going to, this is like, Mission possible with training wheels. Okay? Training wheels. Yeah, the angel comes and shows, the church is early. The church is young. It's just starting out. And an angel comes to help. Hey, let me help you out here. This is what it's all about, Philip. And he tells Philip, here's how to accomplish mission impossible. Mission possible. First, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, first of all, you've got to understand something. What's happening right now in Jerusalem, where Philip is, is a big party for the church. This is the highlight of church beginnings. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we see there's all kinds of things going on. And each and every time, the church wins and God is faithful. And the disciples and the people in Jerusalem are in awe that this church, these people who are, who are carrying around the mission of Jesus Christ... They're winning, they're succeeding, it's working in the, in, in the face of all odds and much resistance. And it's, a, it's like revival in Jerusalem, and it's only in Jerusalem. It's the central hub to the gospel right now. And it's the focal point of the entire universe, and Philip gets to be right in the middle of all that. But here's what I want, you to show, what I want to show you. Sometimes, in order for us to accomplish the mission, God calls us in obedience to go from where we think we really should be to where he wants us to go. He says, hey, arise and go. But wait, wait, God, this is where the central activity is. This is where it's all happening. This is the revival. People are getting saved here. God's message to him, arise and go. I think it's important for us to look at those two words. Arise. Think about it. Look at there in your Bible. Arise. The concept there is get up from where you are in preparation to go somewhere else. Part of being obedient to accomplishing the mission of taking the gospel to people of this world for you is in some area of your life, the Lord's going to call you to unsettle, unplug, disconnect yourself from that which is convenient, from that which is comfortable, from that which is normal and ordinary. So we, we can't just sort of coast along and think, well, I'm a Christian and, and I'll just wear a shirt that has that little fish on it and people will get saved in my life. Put it on my bumper sticker and everywhere I go, they should watch, they should read. No, accomplishing, the, could you imagine if Mission Impossible, the movie, worked that way? you got to rise and go. you got to prepare. you got to pack up. you got to gather your stuff. you got to gird up your loins, if you will, as the Scripture says. Make yourself ready to be mobile, to move into the lives of people that need to hear the message. It doesn't happen sitting on our laurels. It doesn't happen just resting. There's a sense in which we first need to get up, prepare ourselves to go, to be taken by the Lord from where we are, wherever that is for you, to where God wants to do a work. So we listen for his voice and his spirit moving. And he says, arise. And then he says, again, 
Second time we find this operative word. Go. (laughs) Go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. The road from Jerusalem to Gaza is somewhere around a 390 mile trek. So, you know, today in our car, that might take, it might take you 10 hours. It takes me about five hours, but um, that's confession right there. But, but, but could you imagine if you were on a chariot? And then could you imagine, in addition to being on a chariot, could you imagine if you had to catch up to that chariot on a 390-mile journey? It doesn't say how far he was, but he had to run. He had to go on foot to catch up. Arise, go out of where you are. Literally, think about the concept of go. By the way, what's the opposite of go? Stop or stay. So we already know it's going to be opposite of staying where we are, sitting. Mobilized to progress forward with steps. Mobilize. Arise. Get up. Disconnect yourself. Prepare to be connected somewhere else. Go to where I'm leading you. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to take some intentional actions. And then he says, begin taking those steps. Go Forward progress, motion to where I'm taking you to go. And where's he going? To where the need is. God knows where the need is. And if we listen, in obedience, he'll call us to go into the lives of people who need to hear the message. Um, I get the idea when the Bible says go, and you know you can study it in the grammar and the original language and find out that it's an imperative form, which means... It's a commandment, not a suggestion. It's not some of, your, some of your church people should be going. It's you go, a commandment from God, no other choice. Determinate. Um, intentional. Steps on the road he is from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm literally leaving behind that which was where I really wanted to be and going to meet someone to intersect with their life. Um, how important do you think it was for Philip to be willing to, based on God's command, just to simply go? How important is this process? I just want to show you a few verses, maybe just a little trail of New Testament passages to help you see the significance of going, of going, okay? First turn to Luke chapter 19. How important is this process? Luke 19, very quickly, just, just as one little verse, watch it. Luke 19, I'll give you a second to turn there. Here the page is turning. It's like, it's like the washing machine melody to me. I love it. Had to be there. Luke chapter 19, look in verse 10. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. How important is it that we go? Look what Jesus said. He said, I have come to this very place, think about what he's saying, from the halls of heaven and all the comforts of perfect oneness and intimacy with God the Father, existing eternally in all of glory, and he comes down in this miserable planet to suffer, to be spit upon, to be misunderstood as God the creator, and he says, look, I've done all that because here's what I want you to see in order for me to seek and save that which is lost. Now, we know eventually Jesus' life led him to a cross. And the cross was the point of death. How important is it to share this gospel message with people? It's the very reason Jesus died. You, you guys, we just sometimes, I know we know that sort of intellectually and 
and the Sunday school answers when we're doing our Bible studies and filling in the blanks. But think about it for a minute. What God the Son left and endured intentionally going into the earth for the Father. What he did caused him to die, to suffer. And it's the very reason that he died that causes us to carry the message. You might say this, Jesus died on the cross, and if we don't continue to arise and go to people who need to hear it, he died in a sense in vain. Then why did he die? He was all about seeking and saving. It's it's like a heat-seeking missile, Jesus was. Everywhere he went, he was looking for people to save, that, that needed him. You know, sometimes when Jesus was looking, it wasn't so obvious to other people. And sometimes when he found somebody that needed to be saved, much like you, much like me, that person might not have even known the depths of their need to be saved. But Jesus cared more about their salvation than they even knew. And that's what he's seeking for as he, as he dialogues, as he interacts with people. It's so important. It's the very reason Jesus died. Now, so that's, that's, that's powerful. That's amazing. I agree with that. But what about you? So, so personally, what is your part? And if you turn very quickly to John chapter 17, Jesus tells you this important thing that I've done, shattering the entire universe, Look, is something that you're supposed to be a part of. I'm going to skip all the way. This is Jesus' prayer for his disciples in John 17. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 18. Look what he says. Speaking to the Father about you. And he says, as you sent me into this world, I have also sent them into this world. It just quick quiz. Who's the them in that sentence? Yeah. In fact, I'm going to give you permission to do something kind of fun. Point to the person next to you and say, you are them. You are them. you one of them. And, of course, you can point to yourself. I'm one of them. I am one of those disciples that Jesus was praying to the Father about right here. And here's what he was saying to the Father about you and about me, about the person sitting next to you. Just, Father, as you have sent me into this world. Well, what did he say in Luke 19? I have come to seek and save that which is lost. It's the very reason for my death. Just as you sent me, Father, to seek and save the lost, applying my own death to their lives, I am sending them, you. You see, it's built right into the commission that you and I would go and we, with our lives, as Jesus did, would exist to arise and go, seeking and saving those who are lost in our midst, based on the critical, essential death on the cross and that wonderful message of deliverance. By the way, I want to show you this real quick. Um, If you back up to verse 13, so, so you got your Bibles there? Okay, take your finger from verse 18, back up to verse 13 up here. Watch what it says here. He's still in that prayer to the Father. He says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
But but she said, I'm coming to you, Father, now. These things that I'm speaking to them, I'm doing so that they may have my joy fulfilled in their lives. Have you ever stopped to consider and to notice that Jesus himself says, I want you to have my joy, my joy, the joy of the Lord, eternal joy, joy that cannot be understood or crushed down by circumstances, the real joy, the source of joy, joy in the face of every darkness, every circumstance that threatens every opportunity of fear, real joy. He said, I want you to have that joy fulfilled in your life, coming to fruition in your life, the joy of the Lord actually making a difference, impacting your countenance and who you are. As you have sent me into the world, Father, I also send them. I've made a connection there for my own life. The joy of the Lord is fulfilled as I go doing what he did. That was his prayer. Father, I'm sending them as you sent me to seek and save that which is lost. And may they then experience the fulfillment of the joy. See, he didn't say, because I'm praying for the fulfillment of my joy in their lives... Let them build a great big building and have beautiful windows and all kinds of wonderful programs and and isolate themselves from the darkness of that evil world so that they can have my joy. That's not what he said. Let them hire an evangelist to send out into the world so that they can experience my joy. That's not what he said. He said, I'm sending them out just as you sent me. Um. Guys, you have been sent. Church, you have been sent to go. I know know we like to gather. There's lots of things that God does here in our midst as we're the church together, corporately worshiping, and, and, and we come together. But evangelism, taking this message of the gospel, is something that is commanded not just to the church, but to every single individual who makes up the church. And I, I, know, I know some of us are tempted, if we're, if, we're not, if we're not careful, we're tempted to sit back and go, oh, go and make disciples. That means there's some people in my church who are really good at that. And, and you know what I, I do? I give in the offering plate on Sunday so that they can use that money to help get Bibles and tracts and, and buy programs to send out those people in our church who are really good at that. So I'm part of evangelism. I agree with it. I think we ought to be seeking and saving the law. That's not what he asks. You have been sent to go. Every, as long as you have breath, you've been sent to go. Let me make this statement. You might want to write this down. It's worth remembering, I promise. Evangelism is not a spiritual gift. It's a responsibility. See, we think, oh, those who have this, the gift of evangelism. Oh, there is a gift of evangelism for the, evangelism for the evangelists, but it's not for you. <laughs> That's for the evangelist. Spiritual giftedness in the scriptures doesn't outline evangelism as one of the possibilities. Why? Because all of us have the Spirit of God All of us have been called to follow him. And guess what? All of us have been sent to go. It's a responsibility 
of each and every every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to do that by obedience. Sometimes he just says, go. And we say, okay, God, because you say, I will. It's a matter of obedience. But turning back to Acts chapter 8, it brings us to the second point. What does it take to accomplish mission possible? Well, obedience was the first one. The second one is compassion. It takes compassion. Obedience is is fine, but at some point, if it's just simple obedience, you're going to get frustrated. And some of you are going to give up like some of you already have, but it also requires compassion. I'm going to keep reading in the the story here. Uh, Verse 27, Acts chapter 8, said, So he arose and went. This is This is Philip being obedient. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen, this guy that was on the road, verse 28, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Interesting. Interesting. The eunuch came to Jerusalem to worship the one true God because that was the center of worship of that day. But he walked away empty-handed, still needing to be saved. He went right into the heart of of Jerusalem, not just just Jewish worship and the one true God, but also the birthplace of the church and all the revival activity that was taking place in the church. And yet somehow he still missed. He didn't just catch it by being part of what everything was. He walked away, and, and, and as he was walking away, the Holy Spirit sent someone, you go, because they don't get it just by being around. Somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to go share. So he does. In verse 28, he was returning on this road and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the Spirit says to Philip, watch this, go near and overtake his chariot. <laughs> I did, I, you, it doesn't say he had great compassion, but you just got to understand, what would it take for you to really see the need of someone like that to the point of running down that dirty, dusty trail getting to to this person that doesn't know you, facing all the fears of possible rejection and failure, what kind of drive must there be to that get you to that place where you get near and you take the last final step and you overcome the fears and overtake the situation and faithfully share the good news? It takes compassion. I submit to you that Philip cared that this man would come to know Jesus Christ personally. He saw that as he was going down that road back to Gaza, that without Christ, he was empty. He was hurting. He was lost and eventually would spend eternity separated from God. And he cared enough about that to do something about it. It was with great compassion that I submit to you, he drove forward and overtook. And again, for the third and final time in our passage, we find the operative word, Then the Spirit said to Philip, I'm waiting. Go! There it is again. The theme developing here. Go and make disciples. Arise and go. Go and overtake his chariot. Now, it helps to understand the concept of overtaking there. You might have a version that uses a different word. It says, Go near, and the word for overtake there literally means, literally, glued together. To cement two things into one. It's the idea for join oneself to. He says, literally, 
go and join yourself to him in his chariot. I think his chariot represents his life circumstances, where he is in life, who he is, where he's going, his journey, his path. And the Spirit says to Philip, go get up, take from your life where it is, where everything centers around my life, take that and go to the point of compassionately caring to where you begin cementing yourself, joining yourself to the work and the circumstances and the journey that somebody else is on. You see, it doesn't help just to send out a flyer saying, you know what, Jesus saves. If you'll trust him, you'll be delivered from sin. Sometimes it takes going into their lives and understanding what's causing them them to miss the message. What, what, What chariot is going on in their life? What direction are they heading? How can I join them in that direction? Understand who they are and their struggles in life and be compassionate towards them and share with them the good news in that setting. You see the difference? This is not a class, How to Get Saved 101. It's not a lecture series, not even a sermon. This is about a relationship. This is about caring with somebody who's lost enough to step into their life, in their circumstances, if you will, get in their chariot for a while. Get to know them a little bit. Show that you care, really genuinely care for them. Um, one of the examples, I think, in our church, you know, well, let me just say this. I'm going to show the illustration first, and then I'm going to give you an example. I think, in my view, church in America has sort of, we've kind of bought into this spectator concept. You know, we, you know what we try to do sometimes? We get distracted. We try to put on the biggest show in town. The, the most entertaining program in church and if we, if we do that you know and it's all under good motive because if we can do that we can get these people in the world who are so distracted on their chariots to stop for a minute and come in here and if they come in here we might have the opportunity to from a platform share with them the truth of the gospel and and like in the olden days they would come walk down the aisle in a billy graham crusade and give their life to christ and you know what sometimes that gloriously happens but I've noticed it's kind of stopped happening in churches today. I think people of the church have given up their responsibility and just sort of expected the show to produce those kind of results. I think we sort of hang up our, I'm going to make noise, moms. I think we just sort of hang up our church sign out front that says, Jesus and some great program, and then we ring the dinner bell. Y'all come! Y'all come get Jesus. He's here. He'll change your life. You know, and I'm sitting right here in my church. Maybe it's a flyer. Maybe it's a sign out front. Y'all come. Come get Jesus. Come on in. As if that's evangelism. Don't you remember that, Bell? I've read my Bible through and through. And when it comes to the gospel, many more times than I hear Y'all come, I hear, you go. It's not you come to us so that we can have the opportunity to not have to move out of our 
lifestyle and comfort zone and routine and share the gospel with you. It's me get up out of my routine and show that I care about you enough to intersect with your life, maybe even build a relationship. So I'm going to you with this message. I'm carrying the good news of salvation to your heart. Who in your life needs Jesus Christ? I just, if you could write it down right now, one, two, three people that you know need salvation. So I'm praying for them. Wonderful. You must continue to pray. The Holy Spirit does the work. We're going to see that in a minute. But here's my question. What effort have you made to take your life and pour it into their life, get into their chariot, so that you might heart to heart bring that message of the gospel? you got to take it all the way. you got to take it home into their heart. And all it means is sharing the truth in a personal, real way as you intersect with their lives. It's not hard. It doesn't take a special gift. It's a responsibility that the Holy Spirit gives you and empowers you to do. One of the great examples, I think, in our church where we've moved beyond y'all come is our upward basketball endeavor. Now, it's kind of, kind of in a sense a program because programs do help. We've got to organize the way we do things. But you know what upward is to us? It's not just basketball this year, by the way. It's also cheerleading. So expanding to more families and more opportunities. Here's what it is. It's a week after week after week after week opportunity to, to go into a place where we know that our chariot is. Sports, basketball, cheerleading, activity. And, and we have the facility, so we do it right here. And, but, but the point is that we take our, what our life is and our programs and our routine, and we come up and we intersect, and on a weekly basis, we pour into their lives and build relationships with them. And in a sense, right where they're at, we take the gospel, the good news message, and we bring it home into their hearts while we're in their life, playing sports. It takes more than one time, doesn't it? I'm, I would like to issue a challenge to Cross Point Community Church. If you remember the church, this challenge is for you. I would like to see every single person in our church some way involved in upward sports this year. What? Sports? So you don't have to do sports. Come find somebody's chariot. There's parents, there's children, there's all kinds of people from the community who are right there in their chariot, and the chariot's passing by, and we have the opportunity to chase them down. And you might just sit there and just, what's going on in your life? How are things going in school? What's, what, what do you think about what's going on today? And can I share with you, begin to see where God's Spirit is working, can I share with you who Jesus is? Now, when I just said that, some of you thought, that's corny. That's corny. I'm going to come to the gymnasium once a week and build a relationship with mom so that I can say, can I share who Jesus is with you? Oh, I wish I could get excited right here. I'm out of energy. Don't buy the lies of the world. It is not corny, it's not out of date, it's not useless, it's not ineffective, it doesn't push people away. The good news of who Jesus is and what he has done is always, always the right thing to share with everyone you meet. And in some cases, that's what it takes. Do you have compassion? Hey, there's going to be some lost families intersecting with our church for several months in a row. Do you care? Will you do something somewhere to arise from where you are and go? More about that. It takes effort. We get dirty in the process. We have to pursue some people. 
on their journey. We have to go after them. We have to be persistent, consistent. Well, I don't know if there's enough of us. I don't know. I don't know. I can't find enough saved people. And what if, what if I don't know any? It's an age-old problem. It's an age-old problem. In fact, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read to you what Jesus said about this age-old problem. Matthew chapter 9. That problem of, oh my gosh, where am I going to find lost people? How am I going to know where they are? How do I know if there's enough? Okay, so you're in Matthew 9. Look at verse 35. Jesus is in his life seeking and saving that which is lost. Then Jesus went about the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was, watch it, moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They were lost, clearly. And that, that word moved for c- compassion, the, the Greek word there is literally to yearn from the bowels. That's not just, hey, you know, I really feel bad for you. That's an aching from the core of within who you really are. Yearning and aching. That I wish they weren't lost. I wish they weren't helpless. I wish they had the good news and the peace that Jesus offers. And Jesus said he was yearning from the bowels. And then verse 37, he said then to his disciples, because he's yearning so much for them to know the shepherd, he says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, the age-old problem is there's always a plenty amount in the harvest. It's Listen, guys, we live in a day of harvest. Oh, it's tough, tough for the church today. It's tough to reach families. They're so distracted and they're so... No, no, no. It's tough to get them just to come y'all in here. It's not tough to share good news with them. They need it. They're looking for it. They want to hear it. If you're willing to go, if you care enough, if you yearn enough, if you long enough for Jesus to have his way and for them to be gloriously saved, and listen... Instead of spending eternity in hell suffering, eternity with God in joy and peace. It's a no-brainer. Do we care? Is there compassion in your heart? The Spirit of God brings the compassion of God. Pray for the laborers. That's where the problem exists. Pray for those who will go out and, and, and labor. Just think about the term. Pray for resters, pray for watchers, pray for observers, pray for mailer-outers, pray for program directors, Now pray for laborers who will work in the harvest. Guys, the harvest is out there. It's in your neighborhood. It's at your workplace. It's, it's God's already working there's already a harvest out before us the fields are white they need jesus but we gotta go as a church we have to go as believers as disciples followers of jesus we have to go it takes obedience 
to accomplish the mission. It takes compassion to accomplish the mission. And finally, turn back to Acts chapter 8. It takes reliance to accomplish the mission. Okay, if you're willing to obey and you're willing to be compassionate for those who need Jesus, you still have to remember that you and I have to rely on God to do this process. You know, you can view that one of two ways. Oh, I have to rely on God again. Well, that's another thing where I have to surrender and let go of my ways and, and not rely upon my strength. And We always try to make that a negative thing. <laughs> Newsflash. Relying on God's power is a get-to, not a have-to. Relying upon God's power means I trade in the, the, the weak, broken, limited, feeble effort that I have and power that I have, and I exchange that for all the power that created the universe. Well, that's a pretty good deal, guys. That's, that's worth doing. Look, at, you, you watch this the whole thing develop. He overtakes the chariot, and he finds out that the Holy Spirit's already been at work, preparing the listener. He's already reading in Isaiah going, what does that mean? Now, probably you're not going to find it upward basketball or in your neighborhood or your workplace. Most likely you won't find somebody open to Isaiah reading. Oh, look here, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 says, not likely, could happen. But I guarantee you, there are people in your life and the Holy Spirit is working just the same way as the eunuch's life, causing them to question causing them to wonder, causing them to see that there's nothing I have here that's working, and I need something else. And see, the, the eunuch was just searching for the something else. He was just going to the Old Testament scriptures. The world we live in, they go to all kinds of other scriptures, the scripture of whatever. But the Holy Spirit's speaking and preparing their hearts. Before you even attempt, the Holy Spirit's already been at work. In verse 34, he asks the question, you know, who is this talking about? And uh, I love the answer because it's simple. I'm not trained in evangelism, pastor. I understand. And, and basically what we're saying is, I, I'm not, I don't have enough confidence and enough resources to do a very hard thing. I don't know what to do. I need some help, some training to do that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. We, we should be doing that all the time. But, but I, but I want to give you a hint. I want to give you the answer before the quiz already comes. It's really easy. It's really easy. He says it right here. At this point, Philip has the opportunity to say just about anything he wants. He chooses to rely exclusively, that means only, on Jesus. That's all that we have to do is rely on Jesus and speak about him. You don't have to use all the tricky things. You don't have to memorize 58,000 scriptures. All you have to do is proclaim the goodness and the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he preached Jesus to him. In verse 35. Say, I'm not a preacher. All it means is to proclaim. Yes, you are. Because you've been sent to go and do what Jesus was doing. And he wants to do it through you. So your mouth becomes the proclaiming piece of Jesus. How much proclaiming has it done this week? Oh, hey, my mouth's complaining... <laughs> Proclaimed a lot this week. 
Some of it, I wish it didn't. How about you? I'm the only one? Come on. Anybody else? Your mouth was proclaiming something, and you wish, I wish it hadn't proclaimed that. There's a couple honest people. The rest of y'all are liars. You need to repent. Seriously, my mouth has said lots of things. How many lost people did I run into? My mouth opened, words came out, and I was not proclaiming the goodness of Jesus, the love of God. Guys, if I could just, I wish there was some way to impress this. I wish I could open it up and just stick it in your heart. Watch this. That's why you live. That is the only reason why you live. We've made life about all these other things and we've complicated it and it's confusing because I have my career and I have hobbies and I have a payment and I have a truck and I have this and I have that and all those things are fine, well, and good. They, they must be part of life, but that's not why you exist. God didn't leave you after you got saved to experience all that. He sent you to go and to proclaim and preach Jesus to people in your lives. Got to rely on him. That's how you do it. How do I rely on him? I tell who he is. And I let that truth do all the work. I let the Spirit of God take the truth of God and apply it to their hearts. And guess what? When you do that, God's the only one responsible for the results. You don't even have to worry about it. Well, they didn't like me. Well, they didn't say good job. They didn't get saved. They didn't decide to come to church. That's okay. Because God's joy being fulfilled in you has nothing to do with people approving you. It has everything to do with obediently, compassionately, in a reliant manner, going and sharing. You see it? Hey, that's good news because you can experience joy this week no matter how they respond. No matter what they say. But in some cases, I got news for you. Do you know the statistical average in churches in America today takes 85 people to win one person to Christ? That's the average in America today. Evangelical churches, that's America. What if you had a whole year, and out of all your proclaiming Jesus' peace to people, one person got saved? Why can't we say one person leading one person to Christ the next year? Surely the harvest is plentiful. How many are the laborers? Pray for the laborers to go, Jesus says. Now, I've misplaced my glasses, and I'm not going to be able to read anything else to you, so we're either going to end right there, or I'm going to find them. That wasn't part of my notes. It takes reliance. See, the Spirit was already working, and then he just relied on what God said to rely on, and the results were up to God. How does God prepare you? He prepares you. Let me just, you might want to turn there quickly, but I'm going to read Matthew 4, verse 19. Look what he says. This will sound familiar to you. Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will, have you ever noticed that? I will make you fishers of men. Didn't tell him, go figure out how to be fishers of men, and then follow me, and, and then I'll use you. He says, if you follow me, you see that it's a reliance upon him. The following Jesus becomes the way to be a fisher of men. 
Reaching the lost is directly connected to following Jesus. They're one and the same. So that's what I have to do. To rely on him, it means I have to follow him. How do I do that? Let me give you some help. Learn to organize your entire life around what Jesus is doing. Follow him. That's what it means. Peter literally had to arise and go. My question, your calendar for the next month, your calendar from now until the end of the year, all the activities, all the things that are just going to take your time and effort, you know, what is it doing? Just look at it, just review it. What is it organized around? What's the central focus? What's the mission of your calendar, your schedule? Most of us in this room, if we're honest, will realize that we have built an entire schedule, way of life, all of our priorities around something other than following where Jesus is. See, because if it was following Jesus, somewhere it's going to cause you to arise and go into somebody's life who doesn't know him. That's why you exist. Follow me, and I will make you. As you follow him, he makes you a fisher of men. That's how you know you're going where he's already working. I need to start rearranging my calendar. I need to start changing the way I do things, make sure that I'm seeking the Lord first, and that I'm doing with my life and my priorities what I see God doing. And he makes me a fisher of men. And then also, finally, uh, let me just say this. Evangelism is not necessarily a program. It's more of a lifestyle. It's more of how you live your life, willing to share. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that power as you're following him. The Holy Spirit's power is tied to reaching people. When you begin to start reaching people, you have tapped into the Holy Spirit's power. Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, you remember the birth of the church? When this whole thing started? I'm going to turn back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, church is just about to be born. This is what Jesus says. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What? When the power comes, you wait there. And he says, and when you receive the power, what power? Power from the Holy Spirit of God. He says, when he has come upon you, then you shall become witnesses unto me. I, I sometimes, I don't feel like God's very powerful in my life. I don't sense that I'm really living any different as a result of the Holy Spirit's power. Well, Maybe you and I ought to start doing the things that he promised to be power in. Witnessing. If we're not witnessing unto Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which we're outside of the power flow of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense to you? The Holy Spirit, all this power, all this wave, all this force, ready to go. You and I learn to witness, to speak unto the Lord Jesus Christ and about him. And see, that's relying upon him. And guess what? You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to wrestle somebody down to the ground and force them to accept Christ as their Savior. I've, I've given you one more point at the bottom of your outline card. It's a homework point. It's for homework. 
in Luke chapter 16. You'll go this week hopefully and read in Luke chapter 16 about a guy named Lazarus who died and a beggar who died and a conversation that happens with Lazarus and Abraham in a very real place called Hades. And what you'll discover as you read it is Lazarus' request was that somehow he could have some relief. And the relief was needed because the place where he was was tormenting him. It was so miserable. The Bible describes it as if it was like in being in the middle of a raging fire, yet not being consumed. And all he wanted was something likened unto a drop of water to bring him relief. He was so thirsty and hot and dried up. And in that encounter, we learn that there, there's no possible way for Lazarus to get any relief. He's already made his choices in life. He already chose to reject truth. And Abraham says, there's nothing I can do for you. We learn that it's too late at some point for those who reject Christ. Did you know that person in your life? Did you know that there's a point where it's going to be too late? Now, church, let me just for a moment remember the points, okay? Obedience, compassion, and rely upon Him. Remember the points. But I want you to focus on somebody you know in your life who is unsaved. I want you to pick somebody. It might be a relative, it might be a neighbor, it might be somebody you know. You know they're without Christ. There might be many people. And I want you to imagine that one day, that one day without Christ, that they're going to be in a place of eternal torment and suffering. So much so that they might say, if I could just have one small drop of water, it would bring such relief to me but I can't have it. And I want you to imagine just for a moment, just use your imagination, just for a moment, they're able to gaze into heaven as Lazarus was able to gaze into where Abraham was and see you with Christ, redeemed, and all the joy and all the eternal glory. And I want you to imagine for a minute that they catch your eyes and in their suffering and in their tears and in their pain they want to know why you didn't care enough to share the good news with them what were you so afraid of what was so important that you you didn't tell me what you knew and I want that to drive you this week to make some choices to intersect in that person's life don't let the opportunity pass away. Tomorrow might be their death. And at least, at least just obey, arise, and go into their lives with compassion, caring, genuinely caring, relying upon only preaching Jesus. I want you to tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus did. This week, before that opportunity escapes, and you will be fulfilled with the joy of the Lord. Regardless of how they respond. That is what the mission calls us to do. And I believe Jesus, that when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that means we will have mission possible. And I have empowered and called my church, my people, to do it.
And that's you. And that's me. Let's pray. Just heads bowed and eyes closed. If you'll pray with me. Lord, I, I know that I, um, I know I need to respond this morning. You revealed yourself to me and I, I see who you are and I, I want to do something. I want to say yes to you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches that forgiveness of your sin, that message of Jesus that the Ethiopian eunuch heard was that he died on the cross for your sins. And if you will believe like the eunuch did, you will be saved from your sin, given eternal life in heaven and become part of his people. If you'd like to do that right now this morning before you even leave this place I invite you to pray this prayer with me believe with your heart and confess right now in your heart God I know that I'm a sinner and I'm guilty and I trust you Lord Jesus your death on the cross your blood for my sins and I received your gift of salvation and forgiveness come into my life and be my Lord I trust you for others of us who are proclaimers now, being sent. Would you arise and come to the altar this morning? I just want to give you a moment to pray, a moment to to have a conversation with God, make a commitment before God. Praise and thank God for your salvation. Would you want to be part of a church that's arising and going? You want to pray and commit on your part? Come to the altar now as the Lord leads you. Come sit, stand, kneel. Just a few minutes, church, or you can come and worship and do business with God. Let him speak to your heart. Bring that person's name now to the altar. Lord God, give me favor. Show me how to share with them. Work in their lives and prepare even now. But I'm coming to you to avail myself, my life, circumstances God fill my heart with compassion and I would truly believe that those people without Christ will suffer forever Let me see them in your eyes. Let me care like you care. Spirit, we pray that you would fill our church with a raging fire of passion.
thank you for our salvation, Lord. Each one of us who have been redeemed, we praise you this morning. As we respond, we do so because we acknowledge your glory, how awesome you are. We exalt you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can look this way. Can I call your attention to these response cards? Pastor Matt called your attention to it earlier in the service, and hopefully you have put your name and other information on the front. On the back of that card, two very important things this morning. First of all, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus with me, boy, what an opportunity we had to share Jesus with you this morning. And if you believed and trusted him as your Savior, would you mark that, indicate that on the back of your response card and put it in the offering plate as it comes by? We just want to know that you made that choice so that we can help you and maybe lead you to the next step, just like the Ethiopian eunuch had for Philip to do. And maybe there's other needs. And the Lord has spoken to your heart. You would put that along with your prayer requests on the back of that card. Somebody's never been baptized. Well, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized right away. And that shows us the pattern. We get saved and we get baptized. And we'd love to talk about that with you more. If you're interested, mark that on the card. Church membership next week, all that stuff. And then as the offering plates come by, guys are coming forward now with the offering plates. As those come by... I want to challenge you just to be faithful, to respond with a tithe, with a gift. God calls us also to give of our resources as, a, as an act of worship, to bring that money that he's given us and to give it back to him and say, Lord, I trust you with my life. I trust you with your power in my life. Tithing becomes a very important part of that. And then also put your response card in there as your offering and your act of worship as well. John, would you lead us in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for choosing us and uh, providing a place that we can worship you freely. I pray for those in other countries that uh, aren't allowed to by law. Lord, be with them and uh, Lord, just give them strength. Lord, as we give, as we come before you and give, may it be from our hearts and out of obedience um, so that we may see your gospel uh, proclaimed and uh, push forward. Lord, be, be with us this morning. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.